0: Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the United States. I have been traveling together for the last week and a half with Brother Yun on the Back to Jerusalem tour. And it has been amazing. The most amazing part, of course, you know, Brother Yoon has been sharing news stories, stories that that he has not shared before about the time that he was in prison. Last night, he shared this amazing story that I have not heard. I mean, I've heard part of it, but not in the way that he shared yesterday. It was phenomenal. He was sharing about the the time that he had a piece of bread that he was only given once a week and he decided to share it with a fellow prisoner who was about to be executed and that piece of bread led this brother to Christ and the way that brother Yun wrapped it up is that he asked everybody in the crowd how many here have one bible in their home everyone in the church raised their hand said how many people here have two bibles in their home everybody again raised their hand he said how many people here have three bibles in their home everybody there raised their hand and then he asked are you willing to give your bread to those that are about to die without it it was a it was a very oh, i mean as as we all sat there i think that it just because it wasn't clear where he was going as he was speaking but when he asked if we were willing after just telling this amazing story of being in prison, only getting one piece of bread per week, and then giving that bread to another person who was about to die, which was like a waste of bread. I mean, the guy's going to die anyway. Why give him your bread? You need it in order to live. He, Brother Yun his weight went down to 60 pounds while he was in prison. He was so emaciated that his own mother did not recognize him. She had to confirm that he was who he said he was by a birthmark on his back because his voice was weak. So she couldn't recognize his voice when his hair had fallen out because he was so malnutritioned. His body was so frail. He just wanted to take communion and then die. And so when he was given this bread by the prison, he desperately needed it for his own survival. And the guy that he gave it to couldn't even take it and eat it himself. Brother Yun had to feed it to him while in prison. I have to believe that it's that it's the kind of things that Brother Yun went through in prison that has been a part of the Chinese Christian experience. And has fueled the revival that we are seeing today. While we're traveling around on this Back to Jerusalem tour, I have been encouraged because there have been so many people. Now, we are coming uh, to the U.S., going to different churches around the U.S., uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, starting in California, ending in Maine. Uh, I am in North Carolina right now. We just had a, a, a phenomenal meeting last night, and when I say phenomenal, I'm not I'm not talking about the the the, the financial results. Though those have been amazing. I just got a an email last night from uh, Pastor Billy Humphrey at IHOP. Um, we had about twenty thousand dollars that we raised just through the offerings for. Tibet and North Korea. That's just one meeting, one day. And at the book table, the book tables were the the book table was full of amazing people that were coming back and taking the books and then making donations in addition to what they already gave, they were making donations. Altogether we raised $25,000 just in one church and that was at the International House of Prayer in Atlanta. Phenomenal. They're they're like family to me. I mean Pastor Billy Humphrey is 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 such a good friend, and one of the things that I love, get this, before I go on to what our podcast is about today, indulge me for a moment while I share about what I think Back to Jerusalem has been doing other than raising funds for the most unreached area in the world. I think the most unreached area of the world is the most unreached because the word has not been getting out. I think the the church in the West has been in a bit of a slumber and I lay that at our feet, the feet of the mission organizations and the feet of the pastors and the feet of the Christian leaders who have been focused more on encouraging the church rather than uh, getting them ready for battle encouragement for encouragement's sake doesn't do anything for the warrior as a former u.s marine i can tell you that we need something to fight for it's in our dna it's 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 in our blood it's something that we need we we don't just need a healthy you can do it you're doing a great job You know, just for the sake of encouraging people to encourage them doesn't make any stinking sense. But when you have that coach, when you have that leader, when you have that soldier that stands in front of his men, that commander and says, men, we're going into battle today and you may not make it out the enemy is trained hard and his bloodthirsty and he wants you dead but you need to know that you you are fighting for the man beside you you are fighting for your family this is everything we've got we have to go in you know th- these these war speeches that you hear that bring you to tears oftentimes they're involved in football movies sometimes they're involved in in these great fights, like these, these competitions, like I can, I can think of karate kid, you know, growing up or Rocky, the Rocky movies, you know, they're going into a battle, a battle of their life where they're going to be laying all on the line, blood, sweat, and tears. Those are the speeches that we as Christian leaders need to be given encouragement with purpose. Letting the people know that there's a fight that needs to be fought. And we haven't done that. I think the Western Church in general would be ready to support and I know, I know they would be ready. And this is how I know. as we have traveled around the United States of back to Jerusalem, not just talking about what's taking place in China, and not just Brother Yuan sharing his testimony. But going in and saying, brothers and sisters, there is the final frontier of missions, the area between China and Jerusalem. And the Chinese are not an outsource of missions. We have not found a cheap labor force in China to take your place on the mission field. Instead, we have found fellow warriors that are willing to stand beside you in the trenches of battle. And right now, very little is going to the most needy areas of the world. I think that when I have shared in the past about nine-tenths of the world's unreached people groups living between China and Jerusalem, two-thirds of the world's population living between China and Jerusalem, and less than two pennies of world mission funding going to that same area that is the most needy in the world, I think people are sickened. And moved to action. And in that move to action, they have decided, I want to do something about the, the the most unreached area of the world. I want to be a part of completing the Great Commission. When we went to the Amish areas, people were so excited about what Back to Jerusalem was about—that Great Commission for the Chinese people—that they wanted to join. And we saw an organization up. We saw two organizations pop up, basically f- focused on the same area. We went into San Diego. I can remember Pastor Mark coming with us to China, coming back to America. Uh, Pastor Mark from a church in San Diego, then starting up a, a, a training facility in Oregon. That was almost the exact same thing as the Chinese had started up, focused on the exact same area of the 1040 window. Being at the International House of Prayer in Atlanta, Billy, one of my good friends, remembers with clarity the night that we came to his church. The night that we came to his church back in 2011, I remember we had a church that had asked Brother Yun to come, but at the last minute, because of controversy, they disinvited Brother Yun. And I had a good friend who is involved in uh, oil companies that I remember him well. A good friend, Cade Willis, went to Billy Humphrey, asked Billy Humphrey, could he bring in Brother Yun to his church? B- Billy said yes. I went and I met with Billy. There was an instant connection between me and Billy. And I wouldn't say that if he didn't say it himself because I'm a, I'm I'm a person that hates rejection. So I would hate to say, it. I loved Pastor Billy. I felt connected with him from the moment I met him and him be like, what, dude? I never felt that at all. I don't even know who you are. But he confirmed it when we were there on Sunday got up in front of the church and he said, guys, I remember there's a few times in the world where in your lifetime, where you feel like you just crossed paths with somebody and it's a divine connection, a brotherhood that you will never forget. And I remember from the very first time that back to Jerusalem came to this church, it broke the nets. We were sitting here uh, and I remember that night, the police were called on us because 2000 people showed up, at least 2000 people showed up to a church that fits about 400. If you, if you smash them in like sardines, we broke their nets people were parking in neighbor's yards. There, there was a traffic jam up and down the road. The police were called to keep people going that they weren't allowed to stop at that intersection. It was amazing. And we started talking about the most unreached area of the world and completing the Great Commission. At that time, the International House of Prayer was focused on 24-7 prayer, and they had been doing it for years. Now they've been doing 24-7 prayer, unceasing, without without stopping. They've been praying for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, without stopping for almost 12 years. And at that time in 2011, 2011, that was six years ago. They did not have even one missionary that they supported abroad. It was only domestic missionaries. Now, only six years later, they have over 25 full-time missionaries living, serving, working in the area between China and Jerusalem, and they plan to have 40 by the spring of 2018 in only a few months. That is amazing, and... And on top of that, they were able to raise twenty five thousand dollars in one day of services on a Sunday at their church on um, for for Tibet and for North Korea. This podcast is not about that, but I just had to share. Because when I say it's amazing, it's amazing to get confirmation that so many churches, so many bodies have been moved by the message of the Chinese to take the gospel into the most unreached areas of the world. And I have been personally blessed by so many of you listeners that will download this podcast. We had one guy that came to our meeting last night in Greensboro, North Carolina. He said, dude, I listened to your podcast. I love it. I drove all the way here. I don't remember where he said he came from. He didn't come because he he had first read Brother Yun's book. He actually first read, I Stand With Christ. That was his first exposure to Back to Jerusalem. Then he started listening to the podcast and he came because of the podcast. I've had so many people that have come back to the table where we are selling our books and said, dude, I love listening to the podcast. Okay. They may not use the word dude. I, I, I don't know why I do. I didn't grow up in California, but I love California. And I lived in California for several years before I moved to to uh, China. And uh California is like my home. I mean that's still where I carry my my driver's license is from there, my residency is from there. Um that's still my home. And one of the things I love about traveling in uh, California is that it's it's considered to be such a lost state, right? I mean, when you see the kind of things that they push for in the legislation, you would think for sure this is the most anti-Christian state in the in the entire United States. But I have to tell you that as back to Jerusalem, we get our best reception in California. One of our best receptions in California, we get our our, our the the churches usually pack out. And you know what city we we see a, an amazing response in? As a city in general, we did like three churches in the city of San Francisco and outside of San Francisco, and the response was stinking amazing, and the people were amazing. God's people are everywhere, even in the darkest cities, just giving him glory. And Anyway, um, this podcast – As we are traveling around in the United States has been one of the – this podcast that I'm going to be doing right now about the the laws on for Christians inside of China. Um, When I was in the International House of Prayer the day before yesterday uh, on a Sunday morning, um, there was a guy – uh, most people don't know who I am. They don't know who Eugene Bach is and they don't even know that I'm about to speak until I get up and speak. I mean yesterday I was I, – because I usually hang out in the back of the church and and people have no clue who I am so they usually think that I'm a visitor. One woman came up to me and I was holding books in my hands ready to go up to the front and, and share about Back to Jerusalem. She saw the books in my hands and she's like, oh, did you buy all those? Yeah, I just – I love Back to Jerusalem and I love their books and stuff. I didn't say anything but I had those books in my hands because I was going to use them as I share. About them from uh, the from the front when I go up on stage and share about Back to Jerusalem and introduce uh, Uncle Tong and Brother Yun and um, most so most people don't know who I am. And as there was a guy at the International House of Prayer on Sunday, he had got one of the flyers. He had walked into the church. He was sitting in the very back, and I saw him with a flyer in one hand and his mobile phone in the other, and he was surfing through the website. And I actually have a picture of it, um, and I wanted to see what what are people – what what gravitates what, – what is the thing that makes people gravitate towards certain things on the Back to Jerusalem website? So he had the brochure in one hand, and he was going through the website, and I wanted to see where does this guy go? And the article that he went to was China's New Laws Target Christians. That was the very first article that he went to. And I know this is of interest to many of our supporters about the new laws in China that will be implemented on February 1, 2018. And I just want to share about them for a little bit because I know that a lot of people are interested. What are these new laws? What do they mean? And how are they different from what's already taking place? Now, these new laws that are about to be implemented that have been officially announced and put on the official um, legal website of the Chinese government for China to outline the laws for Christians that are going to be implemented next year. We reported back to Jerusalem reported about these laws already last year. We reported – we were the first people to report about these laws I think. I I do not think there was anybody else as early as Back to Jerusalem that reported about these laws. And the reason why is because we had people inside. I had several different sources inside of China from different networks that were not connected to each other. Some of them were with the Underground House Church. Others were with – um, uh, that they're in the profession of law. They practice law inside of China. And they had independently come to me and told me that China is introducing new laws that will be implemented or that would be talked about for March of 2017. They were right on the money. We, we predicted that. It happened. And then the, now it has been confirmed that the new laws will be implemented 2018, February 1st. And in fact, we are the only ones that I know of that reported about last month that at the beginning of um, uh, October, the the end of September, the um, house church leaders from the traditional networks were, requ- were asked to come to Beijing and meet again with President Xi. Meet with President Xi um, mainly to try to encourage them to be registered. So they have been taking a very strong front to get the Chinese underground house church pastors to register with the government. And so they were asked to come to Beijing to register with the government, and, uh, t- and they were in a meeting with the president. Nobody else that I know of actually reported on this. Um, we did. We did report on it, and sometimes we take some heat for it. We got a – I had friends. I, I would say that they're friends. I've done joint interviews together with them in the past. We were friends on Facebook, and we encouraged one another. There, We, we had people that were a part of a China ministry. And I i, I have to say I was a bit hurt By the fact that we saw this, this other China ministry, um, writing on their social media about us reporting on what we had heard about China, and they were laughing and basically saying, yeah, 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 they're one of those organizations that said, we have sources inside, ha, 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 as if it was a joke that, you know, our sources are, a joke. And our reporting on this was a joke because it was hearsay. It was not written in black and white. Well, one of the things that I have learned inside of China is not all laws are written in black and white. The ones that I'm going to be sharing with you today are written in black and white, but that is very rare. A lot of the things that our friends are punished with, the the laws that are implemented, that Come to persecute our partners inside of China are often not in black and white. That's why it's so difficult for a lot of our supporters to know what's going on because these laws are not laws that are in the books. And even the laws in the books that guarantee certain freedoms for the people inside of China, they're not really implemented in the way that you would see in the West. This is an important thing to, to recognize because a lot of people think, well, if it's written on the books – because right now in China, they have the freedom of press, and they have the freedom of religion. They have the freedom of press. They have the freedom to write and print what they like, and they have the freedom of religion in black and white. It's in the law. I have law books from China sitting on my shelf in our office in China that outline in English. It's a direct translation from the laws of China. And enshrined in those laws is a guaranteed right for the Chinese to have freedom of religion. But they don't have it because they're communist. And communist governments, and it's important to recognize the difference between communist governments because when you look at a communist government – okay, let me let me just uh, point this out really quick because I think this is important for our listeners to understand. Now, I'm not uh, this political expert and I don't talk about the setups of different government, but let me point out this, okay? What we have when we have a dictatorship – Whether it is fascist or whether it is communist, both of which are left-wing. Now, I know that fascism is often considered to be right-wing, but it's not. Uh, Fascism is not – because oftentimes Hitler is considered to be right-wing. He was not right-wing. He was not for freedom. He was for absolute control. Control by the state of all companies. Control by the state of all religious practices control by the state of all education control by the state of all government functions so it was all state run that that's that's not right wing that is that is if if you look at the traditional setup of where we get left left and right from the layout of the french Government We have on the left side that which is more collective. Fascism is very collective. Communism is very collective. It is the absolute collectivism. You have everything owned and operated by the state. Now, a lot of people would say that democracy is to the far right, that there you have absolute freedom and the people get absolute freedom. But it's actually not. It's majority rule. So if the majority rules in mob style, then that mob style actually dictates what is right and wrong, no matter what is written in the law. Fascism, no matter what's written in the law, the the fascist leader can dictate what's actually happening, the dictator. And communism, as we've seen, no matter what's written in the law, whether it's Russia, Cuba, or China – No matter what's written in law and anybody that's lived in a communist society, anybody that's operated in a communist society knows that they have no standing on that which is written in black and white. And when you are in a democracy, you also have no standing on what is written in black and white it is mob rule or a majority rule it depends on which term you want to use it depends on which side of a subject that you are on and on one subject it can be majority rule and on the other subject it can be mob rule for instance let's say that somebody has been accused of murder and a and a majority of people uh, are convinced that a certain person has Committed a murder against somebody that the um, majority of the people want justice for. Well, there could be one person that can convince a majority of people that one individual is guilty of murder, and that person may or may not be guilty, but in a democracy, you can have a group of people that demand that person in, in a majority rule to be executed or punished for that crime. If a majority of people decide to change a law at the last minute, they can do so as a majority in in an absolute um, um, testing or or an absolute purist that's a better in an absolute purist idea of democracy that would be a democracy in a republic in a republic's a little bit different in a republic, you have the rule of law. And so if if mobs come out to condemn somebody for a murder that they may or may not have committed, the majority of people may feel that that person is guilty. The majority of people may want to see that person fry. But because of their adherence to a law, because law would reign supreme as it does in Judaism, as it does in Christianity, as it does in a republic – then the law takes precedence. And even though the majority may feel that this person needs to be punished for a crime, the the law states that this person is innocent until proven guilty. Or as an example, the law would state. That does not stand. The reason I point that out so that you have clarity that in a communist country like China, the law does not necessarily mean anything. So... Even though in China it says that you have freedom of religion in black and white, that freedom of religion is not guaranteed. And in fact, the judges that stand before you afford you very little opportunity to defend yourself. And the defense that you take is a dog and pony show for the most part. The judge has already made up his mind. You have been convicted before you're even tried China executes more people than any other country in the world by far. And uh, those executions are expedited. There is no appeal. People do not get the right to appeal the courts. And sometimes those trials are banana courts trials. Banana court trials that it's it's not even a real trial. It's just a show. The people show up. They're... Deemed guilty, the judge makes his judgment, and then it is – the judgment is executed. The new laws that we have inside of China. Uh, right now as I am doing this podcast is October 17th. Today in Beijing, thousands of communist member delegates are arriving inside of China. In Beijing, They're arriving in Beijing starting tomorrow, October 18th from the time that I'm doing this podcast. 2,300 delegates and senior officials will meet in Beijing, and they're expected to confirm President Xi for a second five-year term to be appointed as the president and to appoint himself. He will appoint new officials to serve under him. Now, you have to understand, Mr. Xi is already one of the most powerful Chinese leaders that China has seen since Mao Zedong. Um, After Mao Zedong, when you had Deng Xiaoping and, and Hu Jintao, these guys began to open up China. But President Xi has been consolidating power and bringing more power under his control. And... In doing so, there is one element that has evaded his control, and that is the Chinese Underground House Church. And that is why he is bringing together Chinese Underground House Church leaders into Beijing leading up to this October 18th congressional meeting by the Communist Party. And the Communist Party wants to bring more power under President Xi than has been brought under one leader since Mao Zedong. But in order to do that, they have to bring this growing revival inside of China under control. How are they doing that? Well, they are implementing several laws, uh, and in fact, there are seventy-four new articles that are coming out inside of China as a result. If it's this religious affairs regulations draft revisions, it will be accepted, or it's expected to be accepted at the congressional meeting that will meet tomorrow that will meet in Beijing these regulations are formulated in accordance with the constitution of China and relevant laws for the purposes of ensuring citizens that they will com- that they will heed to the communist idea of religious belief and and they believe wholeheartedly that these laws bring a maintenance of harmony, a a, a maintain harmony in the social structure of China. And so article two of this draft, I'm going to read it to you because it points out the religious freedom that the Chinese are supposed to have in black and white. Article two. Citizens enjoy freedom of religious belief. That is the direct translation from Article 2 in the proposed laws. No organization or individual may compel citizens to believe in or not believe in any religion nor may they discriminate against citizens who believe in any religion here referred to as religious citizens or citizens who do not believe in any religion here referred to as non-religious citizens, religious citizens and non-religious citizens shall respect each other and coexist in harmony and shall no citizen who believe in different religions. So this is article two. Article 3 says the management of religious affairs upholds the principles of protecting that which is lawful, prohibiting what is unlawful, and suppressing extremism, resisting infiltration, and fighting crime. The state, in accordance with the law, protects normal, and this is where they get you. This is where they snag you by the pants and bring you in. The state, this is Article 4 black and white I'm reading it to you now live on delay on our simple Back to Jerusalem podcast the state meaning the communist state capitalized in accordance with the law protects normal religious activities what is normal? who determines what is normal and what is extreme? Ah, oh, but we as a state we protect you We protect, we put in place safeguards. These laws are simply safeguards that protect the lawful rights and interests of religious groups, religious schools, sites for religious activities, and religious citizens. We're doing it for your benefit. We're doing it for your safety, you religious citizens. These are the things that we're doing for you article 67 we're going to jump down this is towards the end this is where you get the small print this is where you get the good stuff this is where you get a little bit more than truthfully this is a little bit more than what china has written in the past article 67 Where a religious activity site is established without authorization or where a religious activity site that has its registration certificates canceled continues to carry out religious activities or where a religious school is established without authorization, the Religious Affairs Bureau, together with the public security organs, are shut down and confiscate the lawful gains or illegal assets, if any. Where unlawful gains or illegal assets cannot be determined, a fine of up to 50,000 RMB, which is about 8,000 U.S. dollars, is imposed. The illegal houses or structures, if any, shall be deposed of by the competent department for construction in accordance with law. And where there is conduct in violation of public security management, a public security administrative sanction is imposed in accordance with law. What does that mean? Translation, if you are having a an unregistered meeting, you will be fined, your valuables will be confiscated, and if it's a building that you have constructed, we will destroy it. That is what it says. Okay, well, that's pretty easy then. Then all you need to do as reasonable believers is register with the Chinese government. But… If you try to register with the Chinese government and they deny your registration, does that mean you're not allowed to meet as believers? As quote-unquote religious citizens? What do you need in order to be registered? Well, you need to be approved by the government. And those that are approved by the government are those that go through Bible school that the government approves. And those that go through Bible school that is approved by the government are those that are within China run by the communist government. And those that are run by the communist government, not always but sometimes, implement three main factors. You cannot teach about a virgin birth, you cannot teach about a second coming, and you cannot teach about a resurrection. Those pastors that do not agree with those teachings and cannot attend those trainings cannot even think about being certified. And being registered with the government. And without being certified and registered. That means that you cannot attend any service. And what is a service? A service is any group of people. That are three or more. That are congregating together. Without being registered by the government. That is considered illegal. That is considered to be an unregistered church. That is considered to be the essence. Of the underground house church. These laws are specifically Targeting the underground house church of China. This is something that we need you to continue to pray about. It continues on. Article sixty-four of the new religious law: a hundred thousand to three hundred thousand RMB. That's about. Um, Thirteen thousand to fifty thousand US dollars basically, roughly within that, about fifty thousand US dollars is a proposed fine to be slapped on anyone that organizes an unregistered house church meeting. So if you're caught holding a Bible study in your home, you're looking at a fifty thousand US dollar fine. These Chinese can't pay that. And the article that I just read to you, Article 69, is you can have a fine in the value of your property, it can be confiscated. Or you can have about an 8000 U.S. dollar fine imposed on the owner. So if you're the owner of the house and you don't even know that this meeting is taking place, you can still be fined. This makes people a lot less likely to rent to anybody that is a Christian for fear that that Christian may have an illegal Bible study in their home. You see, the Chinese are trying to target those that are not even associated but might be an accomplice, even an unwitting accomplice to to the church it gets worse according to article 71 a fine of 20,000 RMB to 200,000 RMB 200,000 RMB is about 35 to 40,000 US dollars can be opposed on the owner of the property where the underground church services are being held it goes on to say that you can even be fined as a Chinese citizen Is that if you travel to Hong Kong or Taiwan or Thailand or another nation abroad and attend a church service that is considered to be illegal by the Chinese government. When you arrive back in your home country, if it's been documented or they find out that you've attended an illegal service abroad, you can be fined. These laws Are becoming extremely intrusive. And it's all to keep the underground house church under control. Which is funny because the more they persecute the Chinese church. The more it grows. The worst thing that they could probably do. For the Chinese church is open up and give them freedom. And then maybe possibly just an idea you might be able to get the level of apathy that we now have in the West. It could be that the greatest tool ever used against the church and to destroy the body of Christ or to attack the body of Christ is to allow them comfort. Pat them on the back and tell them they've already done enough. They've already done a good job. Just relax. Those people that are suffering in another country, someone else. Will go and preach to them. Someone else will take the gospel to them. Someone else will deliver Bibles. You enjoy your soccer games. You enjoy your night outs at the restaurants. You enjoy your life in a Christian country until you die. Make sure your retirement's in place. Make sure that you got good health care. Make sure that you have insurance on your home and your automobiles. Be a good, responsible adult and live in a way that is completely and absolutely apathetic and lacks any sort of empathy towards those that are suffering and dying every single day in the unreached areas of the world, unreached is a word that I believe 2,000 years after God gave us the Great Commission should be a word that is not even in our vocabulary. Unreached should be something that was done away with long ago. When we see the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and other disciples go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Asia Minor, Europe, Africa, covering all that land and continents in their Lifetime. And we have a measly 1040 window between China and Jerusalem that is yet to hear the gospel. And we've dropped the ball and become comfortable and forgot about those areas. The best thing that China could do is just let people be free. And in that freedom, maybe an egotistical Christianity would begin to grow. An egocentric gospel would begin to take hold. Where they begin to focus on themselves, their lives, their prayers. How can their ministries be better? How can they make their lives more wealthy? How can they make their lives more comfortable? And be damned everyone else. But persecution is fueling revival. It has for the last couple of decades. And I have no reason to believe that it's going to stop. I have no reason to believe that as long as the communist government tries to persecute the church and attempt to stop it, they will only make matters worse. They will create martyrs. They will fuel the zeal of the Chinese believers. And I pray that us in the Christian West, where I am sitting right now and within the borders of America, I pray that we will become so stinking impassioned. We will not be able to sleep, eat, or do anything that will bring us joy if it's not about completing the Great Commission. Radical idea? Maybe. But I pray that I'm not the only one. And I have a hunch that by you guys listening to this podcast, I'm not alone. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America. God bless you.